Coming up on Stu Does America. The Marxists are coming. The Marxists are coming. The woke invasion continues, and we have yet another agonizing example of it. Elijah Schaefer takes a quick break from dodging bottles and rocks during riots to paint the picture of our societal downfall. And what is the state of the election less than 100 days out? We'll give you some scary trends and maybe a little hope, too. How about that? Get all our episodes for free anytime on YouTube. Just search for Stu. I'll be the first one there. If you're watching on YouTube right now, click like before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. And subscribe to the podcast as well. I'm always better without visuals. It's true. We just put up an audio-only version of our 100th episode Power Hour celebration. Good luck with that mess. Please rate and review anyway. Five stars is the appropriate amount of stars. And don't forget to be on the right side of history with your gear from andrewcuomoisawful.com. Sip your coffee from an Andrew Cuomo is awful mug. What better way to tell people at your office that you actually care about human life? Once again, it's andrewcuomoisawful.com. Stu does America. So, you like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. The immortal words of philosopher Ariana Grande. Unfortunately, despite Ariana's incredibly realistic view of how the world works, sometimes you want things that you can't actually have. Mm, That's just life. As delicious as that donut might look, you just can't lick it and put it back. Sorry, Ariana. I talk about the nonsense in our world every day for a living. And while it's not like a, you know, a real job per se, it does demand an occasional escape when I walk away from the studio. And with the way things are going right now, I think everyone wants a bit of an escape. I kind of think uh, one of the most important issues in the world today is, let's see, this little habit our country has of aborting about 600,000 babies every year. Mm, The whole thing kind of just sticks in my craw a little bit. And that's a big deal because I don't even know what a craw is. That being said, To be able to stay sane and live my life, I really don't want to be thinking about abortion when I make a dinner reservation or when I watch a show with my kids or while I'm watching sports. It sort of ruins the escape a little bit. Another thing that ruins the escape a little bit is the thought of black people being murdered for no reason at all. Black lives very much do matter. Black lives are pretty clearly included in the phrase all lives matter because black lives are in fact lives. Quick side note, did I mention that African-American babies get aborted at 2.7 times the rate as white children? (laughs) You know, I wouldn't be kneeling at basketball games for the national anthem, but if you implemented my preferred policies, millions of African-Americans would be alive instead of dead. I'm not sure how that side of the argument is the racist side, but none of this makes any sense anymore. Here's the thing, black lives have always mattered to the pro-life movement, but I digress. We all understand that this wokeism is becoming more and more prominent in our politics. But is it a requirement that wokeism has to invade every element of our lives? Can you imagine how this would make liberals feel? What if conservatism invaded sports the same way wokeism has? Can you imagine an abortion is murder painted on the court? Can you imagine players walking around with taxation is theft on their jerseys? Imagine official team warmups emblazoned with build the wall. Doesn't that sound great? No, not to me at least. It sounds terrible. I mean, granted, 
not as terrible as what we have now. It's much, much worse, but it still kind of sounds terrible, doesn't it? Athletes have a constitutional right to run their mouths about whatever issue they happen to be most uninformed about today. Now, that does not mean that we have to like it. And it doesn't mean the media has to glorify it all the time. Last night, the Boston Celtics won an important game against the Portland Trailblazers, 128-124. Jalen Brown had 30 points. Here's the headline to tell you all about it. Celtics' Jalen Brown discusses racial implications of national anthem. Sounds like a great game, doesn't it? Luckily, they featured video of his magnificent statement. Before we get started, guys, I want to address the national anthem. I want to show my solidarity to the NBA and Adam Silva for uh, allowing us to be able to, to peacefully protest. Ah, the peaceable protest. That's great. I assume, uh, because this distinction is being made, that Brown has outwardly criticized the violent and destructive protests around the country. Did a quick Google search for Jalen Brown criticizes violent protests to find out what he said. But this message kept popping up in every single link. It said, missing, criticizes, must include criticizes? Hmm. I, well, I kind of needed it to be a criticism. It's weird because Google, I guess, must be racist as well. Angela Davis once said that uh, racism is so dangerous, uh, not because of individual actors, because it's deeply embedded in the apparatus. Mm, Whoo, Angela Davis. Angela Davis said racism is dangerous. You know who else was dangerous? Angela Davis. As an activist in the Black Panther movement back in the 1970s, she fell in love with a convict. It's a little love story I like to tell. His name was George Jackson. She wrote letters to him in prison, which read, in part, all my life's efforts have gone in one direction, free George Jackson. And that is all that matters, liberation by any means necessary. And of course, the American oppressor has revealed to us what we must do if we are serious about our commitment. If I am serious about my love for you, mm -hmm, about black people, we should be ready to go all the way. Who knows what going all the way meant? But by pure coincidence, George Jackson's brother busted into a courtroom to take hostages and trade them for George's freedom. <laughs> what a weird coincidence. And then, even crazier, they were armed with the guns that just happened to be registered to Angela Davis. What are the odds of this? You know, she had just purchased them two days earlier. Then they took the judge hostage and he was killed. Among, along with three others during the shootout with police. Hmm, that's awesome. This landed Angela Davis on the FBI's most wanted list. She eventually was acquitted by a very friendly jury, but she went on to run for vice president of the Communist Party USA twice. If she had won and we lived under communism, I kind of doubt Jalen Brown would have received his four-year, $115 million contract he's currently playing under. And that's sad because the guy is averaging 13 points per game for his career and definitely deserves close to $30 million a year. I should point out, he's only averaging 1.4 assists per game, so apparently the whole from each according to his ability to each according to his needs thing doesn't quite translate to the court, you know. After he quoted the communist murder suspect, he then gave us the big crescendo. I think about that quote a lot when I think about the national anthem. Um, which was written by Francis Scott Key, oh. who was a slave owner. Mm. Um, when we talk about the national anthem, we don't really talk a lot about um, the third verse oh. that was written. 
which addresses, you know, slavery, mentions like there's no hope for, you know, uh, a hireling or a slave, but the gloom of the grave. So um, racism is so deeply embedded in our country that people don't even flinch or even shift at the idea. It kind of is what it is. Mm, of course, it isn't what it is. The part of the third verse of the anthem that Brown seems to think he knows goes like this. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the tenor of flight or the groom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. It sounds like he's celebrating the deaths of slaves. However, it's not at all clear that this woke translation of the anthem is even true or close to it. As the hardcore right-wing source of the Minneapolis Star Tribune points out, quote, taken in context, the term hireling likely refers to mercenaries who bolstered a British fighting force decimated by the Napoleonic Wars. Many Americans are aware of the Hessians, German troops who augmented British armies during the Revolutionary War. And rather than referring to a particular handful of fighters, the term slave describes all of the monarch's loyal subjects, including British troops, as contrasted with free patriot Americans. This is written by Mark Ferris, a historian who spent years researching and writing a book about the national anthem. It's called Star Spangled Banner, the Unlikely Story of America's National Anthem. The headline of his piece from 2018 was National Anthem's Third Verse Stirs Passions, But the Reading is Erroneous. Francis Scott Key's reference to slave was not literal. Literally, Jalen Brown has no idea what he's talking about. And look, yes, you can go back and find bad things about Francis Scott Key. He was no angel. He was a slave owner, though he also freed slaves. He had what historians called a complicated history with slavery, a subject that no one should have a complicated history with. But here's the thing about the 17 and 1800s. Basically, everybody was a racist. The left is in the middle of vilifying Frederick Douglass. Even black people of the 1800s were racist against black people, according to the left. What's particularly irritating about this is that this sort of like nonsensical revisionism is now being treated like it's brave or interesting in some way. It's not. To go back to a songwriter's history of their life and you know, disregard their songs because the writer was awful hundreds of years ago is not meaningful, and it's certainly not difficult. It might be a, challenge thing, a challenging thing to do if the song was, you know, a couple of decades old. Hmm, let's try it. I mean, I wonder what Jalen Brown's favorite artist is. I'm so glad GQ asked him about it just a couple of months ago. Right now, I'm gonna go with Tupac today. All eyes on me. Because I feel like, yeah, the Tupac energy is relevant. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Tupac, he's definitely one of the people I look up to. Look up. Everything he accomplished in his short 25 years of Mm -hmm. life, definitely something to try to follow and try to chase. Huh. Definitely one of the people I look up to? Tupac? The guy who was convicted of molesting a teenager? That Tupac is the one you're talking about? Really? You're praising, quote, everything he accomplished in his short 25 years of life? Are we talking about the same guy? We're talking about Tupac, right? The one who not only molested a teenager, but then loaned her out to his friends who forced themselves on her. She said the four men, quote, set upon me like animals. As he was being sentenced, Justice Daniel P. Fitzgerald said, quote, 
This was an act of brutal violence against a helpless woman. I believe the Jalen Brown observation was that Tupac's life was, quote, definitely something to try and follow. Quite an interesting statement in the middle of the Me Too era there, Jalen. None of this is brave by these NBA players. Bravery is flexing on Giannis when you're down 18 points. That's brave. Stupid, but brave. But this, kneeling against the anthem with the centerpiece of your complaint, like the debunked internet rumor? You want to see bravery in a moment like this, look no further than Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic, the only player in the NBA to not take a knee and wear a BLM t-shirt. That is bravery in 2020 and thoughtfulness. And it's also self-control. Control to politely answer which ha- what has to be, and I mean this sincerely, the single dumbest question ever asked at a press conference. So you didn't kneel during the anthem, but you also didn't wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Uh, do you believe that Black Lives Matter? <laughs> no. He doesn't believe that Black Lives Matter. Despite being a black guy, he's pretty much a white supremacist. That's him. Did you just think of that question yourself or did Jalen Brown give it to you? I am legitimately curious. Apparently, Jonathan Isaac has a lot more class than I do, and this is how he answered. Absolutely. I believe that Black Lives Matter. Um, A lot lot went into my decision, and and part of it is, first off, it's, it's my thought that you know kneeling or wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt um, don't go hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. Racism isn't the only thing that, that, that plagues our society, that plagues our nation, that plagues our world. And I feel like you know coming together on that message that we want to get past not only racism but everything that that, 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 that plagues us as a society. I feel like the answer to it is is the gospel. Mm. That is brave and thoughtful. And in the most 2020 thing ever, during his next game, he tore his ACL and is out for the season. We are totally screwed. Do you hate wearing dress shirts? I mean, honestly, at this point, you're lucky if you get out of your sweatpants during the day, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. I feel like you're almost achieving something when you're home and you get out of uh, you know, sweatpants and a T-shirt. Buttercloth, though, is a fantastic shirt. I just discovered this, honestly. They've designed a men's dress shirt that is actually comfortable. It feels like you're wearing your favorite T-shirt. It's not like stiff and scratchy like typical men's uh, shirts. I will say, we got it, uh, and, and I, I opened up the package. It was hard to describe. I've honestly never felt a fabric like it. It is like so soft and just fantastic. And the reason why I never felt a a fabric like it is because it didn't exist other than, you know, with buttercloth. Buttercloth, I will say, is the perfect name for this. I was like, what does buttercloth even mean? It's it's like butter. It really is. It's so soft and it's totally different than any other dress dress shirt you've ever owned. Buttercloth has developed a ridiculously soft fabric uh, using a special blend of 100% long fiber cotton and unique uh, manufacturing process. They explained the whole thing to me. I don't know how any of that stuff works. I will tell they also did come up with a, a new cooling fabric, which is on sale now as well. They put like 
I don't know, mint leaves or something in it. All I know is it cools you off in the summer. It's fantastic. The company was featured on ABC's hit show Shark Tank in 2018. Robert from Shark Tank loved the shirt so much. He invested $250,000. You should invest a few bucks, too. But you get a shirt in return. Buttercloth is offering the uh, our listeners today 20% off your first purchase. Go to buttercloth.com slash stew to receive your 20% off first full price order. That's, you know, and you know this by now. The slash stew part is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. It's buttercloth.com slash stew. You've got to try this out. Buttercloth.com slash stew. Get this thing in your hands and you're going to keep buying them. Buttercloth.com slash stew. Joined now by a man who's exposed more about Antifa and the violent left than almost anyone I know, taking a break from dodging chunks of concrete and Molotov cocktails. It's Elijah Schaefer, host of Slightly Offensive, right here on Blaze TV. Elijah, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, any yeah. new scars to show off? Or, well, yeah, uh, I mean, I could dodge I could dodge a bullet, but I couldn't dodge going on your show. No, I know, I know. <laughs> you got me, you caught me. Damaging. No, I'm, just, uh, I'm happy to be here, dude. I love, I love this show. You know why? why? Because mm. with the inconsistencies of life, and the fact that you know you never know what's happening, I always know that Stu's gonna be in the same chair with the exact same black yep. blazer mm-hmm. right here with the great clean shaven smile uh-huh. presenting the truth to America. And doing them too, which is kind of provocative. Thank you, I don't know how to dress myself, but I'm working on it. At some point I'll get there. Um, you uh, have been in the middle of this as you always are. Um, watching, I mean, what's going on now in Portland and Seattle. To me, I think to most people in America are just like, is this our country? Like, when did this start being okay? What's the status of things right now? Yeah, you know, I think because we live in like a movie entertainment culture, sometimes the news becomes like entertainment to us. But we forget, you know, when you're watching a movie and bad things happen, that's... Uh, that's because of good production quality right. that, that we believe that those things are like we buy into the story. Unfortunately, the stuff that you know, we, we're capturing on the ground today is, well, well I, I do commend Antifa for having increased production quality with their lasers now and smoke mm-hmm. bombs, et cetera. Really good stuff. You know, yeah, theatrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, mm-hmm. pyrotechnics are up there. But, uh, but it really is the truth, and it's actually happening on our streets. And if Americans can disassociate themselves from that that entertainment culture and put yourself in the actual place where those videos are being captured and realize like this is your country. These are these are taxpayer funded streets. Those are your fellow Americans and their city and it's even though it seems removed because it's Portland, if it can happen there, it's a matter of time before it can happen right where you are. Yeah, and I keep thinking of like, you know, you look at the voting uh, in, in these in these uh, cities. Yeah, of course, obviously the left is winning all these elections, but there's still you know a quarter of the people who are voting for Republicans in these cities and are overrun just as much as the Democrats are. These are people that own businesses that right down the street that have to close their doors, that have to board up their windows. This is not just affecting, this is not a police versus Antifa thing. This is the whole city being affected. Yeah, and, I, and it makes me feel sad that cities no longer run on the basis of meeting the, the needs of the constituents. It's just become a mob rule, not even a republic anymore. It's it's it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's actual like typical democracy where, you know, whoever's in power kind of makes life hell for the other party. And we see that in, in both parties, but majority of that is seen in the Democrat cities where they, they, they steamroll the Republicans or anybody who's right of far left. You know, I mean, even moderate Democrats that just want to run a business, maybe they're for more social programs than you or I are for, you know, maybe want to help, you know, I don't know, provide, you know, more things that I think are useless, but whatever. <laughs> they, they don't matter anymore either because yeah. it's their businesses that are being shut up as well. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked about the uh, increased production quality. 
Uh, and we do see this with the lasers <laughs> and the fireworks. Um, we're also starting to get real acting performances now at these places. LARPing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, tell me about the fake press part of this. I think this is really a fascinating thing because this is structured. This is not just some thing they're coming out and making it up as they go along. This takes planning. Yeah, so the story started breaking uh, last week where uh, there were concerns. I started noticing of journalists saying, hey, I'm noticing that some there's odd behavior in the press out here recently. So when I went up there, I go, I got to look into this. Um, I got to do something that we don't do anymore, which is um, journalism. Yeah. You know, I got to actually go up myself and find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And what I found were a few things. Number one, um, there was a injunction put upon the federal agents to no longer be able to attack or arrest uh, legal observers. The, the green, they wear green hats. You might see them in protests or the press, which sounds good in nature. Mm -hmm. And what the far left does is always sounds good in nature, but there's something nefarious to it. And that being said, um, what the rioters and the protesters did is they took this immunity and an injunction to protect legal observers. And they thought, you know what? How do you verify in the middle of a riot who's press? Well, it's by a badge, something that identifies you. Yeah. And is there a police out there, you know, going to ask you and check and scan your ID and see if you're really a real press or a fake press? No. Um, so what they began to do is pass out stickers um, using just like scotch tape, different things, the like colored scotch tape. And they started putting press on their helmets, their vests. And what they would do is then they would go up to the front lines and they would do one of a few things. Either they would stand in front of rioters as they were throwing Molotov cocktails, re-throwing the tear gas cans, using themselves as human shields for press immunity, literally putting their hands up, um, doing things that like, you know, one girl even had journalists written on her on her chest. I even said, no one even writes that. No, like, no. Nobody <laughs> writes journalists. And it was like, it was so funny. It's like laminated with safety pins, like hanging off her, like as if that's a real thing. And, uh, and they would stand in front or what they'll do is they'll actually get past police lines during an offensive and they'll actually assault the officers. I, catch, I captured video of them throwing cans, etc., And then the police start attacking us. And then the real press goes, oh, look, the police, they're attacking the press. And you go, even just today, one of the, one of the, a, a press, by the way, an independent journalist who's featured consistently on ABC News for this feature, wrote, journalists being attacked. I went to the, I found the journalist that got attacked. They have Antifa in their bio. And so that's my point is they're going, wow. ABC is going, it, it, they're getting attacked. These are actual rioters and domestic terrorists using this junction of press immunity to attack officers and make them look bad. It's a propaganda campaign. Yeah, I mean, because and usually the journalists are the first one to jump on stuff like this because they do enjoy that protection, not only just here, but in war zones, right? Like if you're a journalist, you go into a war zone, uh, um, you're expected, expecting to get, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, like protection. You're not part of the war crew. Um, when people who are part of the riot start posing as press, that risks the real press's protections because people won't believe that when they see the, you know, they see press on a helmet or whatever, it is, it's someone uh, who's a journalist. That's the, normally the type of thing, we've seen this in war zones before, that journalists get really defensive about because they want to protect mm -hmm. this. Here, they don't seem to be concerned about it at all. In fact, they're exploiting it for their own gains. Yeah, and people that want to call me, a, 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 you know, they'll be like, oh, this is Blaze TV. You're, you know, you're just as bad as them. You're a propagandist for the right. Well, let me tell you this. Um, they have groups online and they have Twitter accounts that talk about the pre-approved journalists that are there. Mm -hmm. But the worst part about this is not only do they admit to this themselves, there are more, I could just call them fake Antifa press. Um, mm -hmm. 
they're the they're the fabs, which I <laughs> sure. well, they're no, fabs, I'm, but okay. but here, but I there's a lot a lot of meaning to that. Mm-hmm. But they also um, openly admit this that the, this is who are, are are there, and they'll sometimes even write their name on their their vest and stuff so that you know who they are because they're the pre-approved press. But worse, the worst part about this is, Stu, the worst part is. Major corporate news outlets, I'm not gonna say mainstream media, corporate news outlets are using their take and their footage and they put it in their bios. Mm. That they're, they're, they're now officially journalists, meaning the media is in complete collusion with Antifa to you give their side of the story and there are more fake press out there than there are real press. And you might say, well, isn't this how press are invented? Like, I mean, you're invented out of this. I go, no, a press is not someone who starts out as a rioter, starts documenting what's happening, continues to only show one side of the story, is sponsored by the corporate media. No, that's just a rioter with a camera. That's not the press. Um, it's interesting, though, that when these things develop, people get inventive. They start using these circumstances to benefit themselves. Right. There's this there's this rib place that was apparently feeding people who are the protesters. <laughs> and I got to say, like, part of me kind of I, there's a little admiration here. They've, they've worked the system pretty well. Can you tell us? Yeah. 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 OK. So um, <clears throat> I saw a really morbidly obese uh, Antifa and I called him the riot rib. Mm-hmm. But that's not to be confused with riot ribs. Right. Uh, an official Twitter account, by the way. These are all official things um, that was the feeding center for Antifa. Just to show you how. Uh, confused these people are, they were getting donations from politicians, local politicians, um, and they, they took over an entire park, illegally occupied it with grills and cabanas. People were getting salmonella poisoning. They were operating until 7 in the morning while restaurants have to close at 10 in the area. They were allowed to operate past the amount of time. They didn't, didn't have to file, uh, uh, follow health codes. I saw people coughing in their hands, continuing uh. to make the food. I mean, people were getting sick, but the worst part about this, there's nothing better than when, like, the the biggest LARPing scammers get scammed. Everyone loves when a Nigerian scammer gets scammed or mm, yeah. when the IRS scammer gets scammed, right? But these guys made a GoFundMe um, to raise money for their operation. Mm-hmm. And uh, unsurprisingly from around the world, I, I believe, and I could be corrected on this, but according to the Post Millennial, I think they, they raised about $300,000 in a 24 hours. Then they disappeared. So th- what I think happened is they, they raised this money to feed the, the homeless and Antifa, which there's a hard distinction between the two. Um, that I mean, it's hard to distinctualize yeah, right, between right. the yeah, two, yeah. I should say. Um, they raised this money and then they dipped. And I, I could see why, because I'm sure they were a bunch of disenfranchised people who probably had student loans and stuff. And it was like, dude, let's stop fighting the feds. Let's just like pay off our student loans <laughs> and buy a condo in Texas. And maybe they watch Blaze TV now. Welcome to the, welcome to the program, you know? Maybe they've changed. It shows yeah. you really how, how socioeconomic a lot of these issues are and really how much people have preyed upon young people with college debt or without a lot of purpose to do their bidding. Because once they just got a little bit of money, tasted a little bit of American independence, well, they quickly abandoned the movement. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting one. I, I'm, I'm uh, sort of, uh, I, as I look at this stuff, I'm thinking to myself, what do we do about it, right? <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I, one of the people who I've, I've really grown to like through this thing is the chief of police of Seattle. Yes. Who is just like this. This poor woman who's just like, I, we want to defend you. Can we please just stop the murders? Is that okay? And she keeps making direct pleas to the citizens saying, we want to help you, but the mayor won't let us. Is the answer just like letting the police do their thing again? Does this all get back under control? Or is this, this is a movement that, that's been going on for a long time, and I don't, I don't see it ending anytime soon. Yeah, you know, 
I want to bring up the old thing that people always, you know, there's always that argument. It's like, well, you know, usually people are shot and armed or even the police brutality happens when they're already committing a crime and they're getting mm -hmm. arrested for committing a crime. And there's always that saying, it's like, well, just don't commit a crime right. and you won't get arrested. And then, of course, lower socioeconomic classes or people will go, yeah, but that's easy for you to say when you have to commit crimes to survive, et cetera. So, so let's get away from that argument and just say, <laughs> what we have seen in Portland is once the power was given back to the Portland, the Rose City Police, and they began to police the area in and around the federal building, we don't know if the feds have fully left, but they have not had to come out of the federal building. Right, right. I can, I can vouch for that, or at least not in large numbers, right? So, so I mean, you'd be an idiot if you didn't believe there was still DHS in that building. <laughs> I mean, it's, the situation is extremely volatile, and Chad Wolf knows that. Sure. But that being said is... When local police departments are allowed to do their job, um, something crazy happens. The federal, federal agents don't have to get involved. And on top of that, what we saw is the day that the police were allowed to go back in, the parks were cleared in Portland, the streets were cleared, protests were brought up and riots were brought away from specific areas. They were taken down earlier in the night. It didn't solve the problem, but it definitely amended it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that giving the police the power to do their job with the same accountability that they've always had, you know, body cameras, et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, look, I don't care about any of that stuff. Let cities vote on what they want for their own police departments, sure. right? You right. want body cameras? You want them. You don't want them? You don't want them. I don't care. I that's your... like them, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. That's, you, that's up to you guys to do. But for, for you to restrict the police from doing what they need to do, those are citizens as well. And when you're putting their lives in danger, well, they're not gonna do their jobs. And I think that's why the Seattle police had power returned to them because when the courts realized that if you take away power from the police, you put it into the hands of the people, and I'm not speaking crud on militias and stuff, I'm saying these riders don't wanna know what would happen if you took away the power from the police. Mm -hmm. You think the police, are, 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 are brutal, wait till you give a, you take away a business owner's livelihood. Yeah. They're more brutal than the police and rightfully so. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the rib guy is not gonna know what hit him, <laughs> I think, after that. Um, but you, a lot of, to a lot of people, I think, around the country, this stuff is just crazy and new and like, what the hell is going on, right? This isn't new to you, though. You've been following this stuff for a long time. You've been in the middle of this for Years. a while. For a while. Yeah. So what happens, let's say we get to the election, because I think a lot of this flare-up has to do something to do with the election. We get to the election. Donald Trump wins. I think everybody kind of sees this as it's going to keep going and probably get worse. What happens on the other side of that? What if Biden wins? Are they... Uh, are a lot of these people just going to be like, okay, good, we got somebody good in there, it's no longer Donald Trump, or are these, they're dedicated long-term activists in that group? Well, at least probably if Biden wins, well, suddenly the vaccine will actually work and, <laughs> and uh, the economy yeah. will be able to open up again, so that's a good, I say that, I hopefully say that facetiously, yeah. I do, I really do, because I, I'm, nothing would surprise me at this point, but um, I, you know, I think you have to realize that these, these are anarchists, these are special interest extremist groups, and they are um, disruptors. Yeah. And they were operating before the Black Lives Matter movement, but what happened during the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, they saw how much Go Democrat governments tolerated violence and vandalism. Mm -hmm. And we saw the lack of prosecution. We saw Soros-funded DAs drop charges uh, of people who were violent and, and who were rioters. And I think it emboldened criminals and people who yeah. are looking to take advantage of this movement to, to have an uprising. And the far left is actually, the far left and anarchists, which are finding common ground, which is weird, uh, are, are both inherently 
not pro-Biden. And so I don't see them letting up. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see them because what they want, they don't want Biden in office. They don't want a safe Democrat. And I know your audience will probably be like, Biden, a safe Democrat? Yeah, nobody's worried about Biden in office. They're worried about the people he's, they're worried about like the people because right. he's not competent that, that are gonna actually be calling the shots. A whole Bush, Dick Cheney all over again, right? And now we're in an endless war. So that being said is this group is now a pawn and a tool of extremist groups and they realize that they can use them. And if they would existed before Black Lives Matter, and now they exist in Black Lives Matter. Once the election ends, we know Black Lives Matter will go away, but these groups won't. Mm. All right, uh, Elijah Schaefer, host of Slightly Offensive, right here on Blaze TV. Uh, if you want to watch Slightly Offensive and all the great shows here, you can go to uh, Blaze TV, get a subscription, blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. You'll save 10 bucks. Elijah, thanks for coming on, man. Thank Appreciate you so much, stew. All right, back in a second. Election 2020, in-depth coverage, the fight for the Democratic nomination. It's Road to Stalingrad 2020 on Stu Does America. Now, you might be thinking, why are they still running Democratic nomination production? I mean, that, that's months and months old. Well, that's kind of how I feel, too, except I went to Predicted today, uh, the website where you can invest on political outcomes. And right now they're saying Joe Biden has a 93% chance to win the Democratic nomination. Again, the Democratic nomination is supposed to be announced at the convention, okay? The convention is in two weeks. Like, are they saying there's a, they think there's a 7% chance this guy is going to drop out for whatever reason in the next two weeks? The rules specifically say if he gets named as the nominee and then drops out after, it is uh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the markets at all. You know, it would still be a Biden win. So I don't know. It seems a little crazy, but I guess we're still in the period where we're talking about the Democratic nomination. Uh, but the road to Stalingrad continues either way. Um, let me look at the uh, kind of the state of the polls here. And I want to give you a list of states here and. Just tell you a little bit about them and where we stand. You might know by watching some of the coverage that the polls don't look all that wonderful yet. I don't think it's time to worry about them. But I want to give you some of the perspective um, of uh, where we stand in this race. Here's the list of states. Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Iowa, Missouri, Arizona and Nevada. Basically, Trump has to win all those states except two, but they have to be the right two, probably New Hampshire and Nevada, or he can lose any one of a bunch of the bigger of any, of any of those bigger states. Problem is he's not winning a lot of these states right now. So here's the bad news. OK, Donald Trump of all those states I just listed off is only leading in two of the states. That would be Iowa and Georgia. He's got to win Iowa and Georgia. There's no question about that. If he loses Georgia, I mean, it's going to be an early night. Okay. Um, if you are uh, invested here in, in this particular process, care about who's going to be president of the United States, if you happen to be someone who wants Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, okay, that, this does not 
look all that good. He's losing in almost all of these states. Let me put up the results here for a second, and I think I'm going to draw your attention to one thing. This is from Real Clear Politics. They put together this list. This is kind of the average of where we are. They also have the results from 2016, 2012, 2008, kind of give you perspective. But the main two I want to look at are the current uh, Real Clear Politics average and uh, what happened four years ago. If you kind of going down the states, I'm going to go through the movement here, okay? For example, Trump is actually doing better in Wisconsin than what happened four years ago with Hillary Clinton. That is a really, that's a real piece of positive news if you're, if you're a Trump uh, supporter. Um, and that's a big deal there because Wisconsin is probably one of the most difficult states for him to win. Um, Michigan, uh, it's about a four-point deficit from where he was in 2016. Ohio is only a 0.9% difference, pretty much the same. Pennsylvania, two-and-a-half-point difference. Uh, Florida is a big one, a 6.4% difference. He won the state by 0.2 four years ago, and he's losing by 6.2 today. That's a problem. Georgia, he's still winning by uh, 1.6 points. It's a two-point difference from 2016. Uh, North Carolina, a four-point difference from this point in 2016. Um, Let's see, New Hampshire. New Hampshire is probably the worst state on here for him outside of Florida, 5.6 point difference. Uh, although it's a small state, he could probably uh, tend to lose. He can, he can lose that one. It was just very close last time. Uh, Clinton only won that state by 0.3 points. Biden leads by 9.3 today. Iowa, a 1.3% difference from where it was four years ago. 1.9% in, uh, in Missouri, uh, 2.8 points in Arizona, and uh, 1.5 points in Nevada. The reason why you might look at that, you're like, wait a minute, he's losing all these states. I don't I'm, I'm a, I want to vote for Trump. I want him to win. And, you know, I, I, as, a, as, as somebody who's passionate about this, Stu, I don't think that this makes any sense. It's not good news. Well, look, it's not great news. I'm not going to say that, like, this is where this is where he would design um, his run to be at this particular point. You don't fire your campaign manager when you're winning by 20 points. OK. Um, and, you know, Trump's done that. He's done some other things recently that will tell you that he's taking this threat seriously. And he's he know he realizes he's got some work to do here. The point, though, is that with all these polls kind of looking worse than they did in 2016, it's easy to lose perspective on the fact that a lot of these are minuscule movements. And likely the way these things work is they move together. So if Donald Trump has a couple of good debates, he might put, let's say, three points on the board. He closes that gap by three points. Well, that's going to flip a bunch of these states. I mean, the only states above three points on this entire board are New Hampshire at 5.6 and Florida uh, at 6.4. Um, as far as the difference from last time, that would bring him back pretty much to where he was. He's got to win Florida. He's got to win Georgia. Those are 100 percent needed. But he's not he's within a couple of events, a couple of positive news cycles uh, from from cutting this thing a lot closer. The the national number kind of gives you this broad sense that he's down by seven, eight, nine points. And that's that's true in the national polls. It's just not all that relevant when it comes to these uh, state level polls. And you see like a, you know, a two and a half point trail in um, uh, or two and a half points worse than he was last time in Pennsylvania. It's a close state, but I mean, he was down by three and a half last time, uh, about four years ago, and then he wound up winning by a point. Again, he wound up winning almost all of these states. He just needs to, it's not out of reach, is what I guess I'm trying to say. There's kind of a lot of uh, defeatism in the media right now. It's important to note that it, we are still at a point where a lot of the stuff could change. 
but Trump has to do a good job. He needs to get to the point where he's showing that level of competence, that this COVID thing is under control. He needs a couple of big events that help him, a couple of good debate performances if they're allowed to happen. And this thing could change pretty quickly. It's not as dire as the media is, is making it out to be. And of course, it's what they're wishing for. So they have a kind of an incentive to build that narrative. Biden, can he sleep his way to the presidency? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it, it wouldn't strike me as possible, but this year is so weird it might work. Trump, though, is in the game. And if he can continue uh, to, to keep pushing, I think, on this, uh, this idea of the strife in the cities, I think is, a, a generally speaking, a good point for him. But he does need to get this COVID thing under control. I mean, and I think you're seeing the, the shift in tone for him over the past couple of weeks is because he wants to make sure this thing gets under control because the economy can't rage until people think they can go out to dinner without dying. Uh, frankly, that's what it is. So one of these big treatments comes through, one of the vaccines comes through, it could change this dynamic immediately. The economy starts raging back to life. Uh, These sorts of margins can be made up relatively easily. Back in a second. Elon Musk is uh, letting the world know that aliens built the pyramids, Abv. It was retweeted 84,000 times. Now, that to me does not sound like a, a serious policy statement, but everyone in Egypt took it very seriously. And they were very upset. Uh, they were not built by aliens. They were built by Egyptians, not slaves. No. Just regular Egyptians who were just like, oh, we just need some triangles in the middle of this desert. It's going to look great. Just get a couple triangles over there. It's going to look fantastic. That's what we need. We get the flat sort of uh, desert thing. Uh, a few triangles. Wouldn't that look nice? That's the whole story behind that. I don't really think Elon Musk was actually serious here. Apparently, Dwayne Johnson was serious, however. He uh, has purchased the XFL. It's an interesting idea. Uh, Dwayne Johnson purchasing the XFL for $15 million. I should point out, he's not being paid $15 million to take the XFL. He actually paid that much money to get it, which is interesting. I will say, it sucks. I, I, told, I think I mentioned this story maybe when I came off a of vacation, but when I was, in, um, I, was, I was in Georgia and I met an owner of a small business uh, of Rita's Water Ice. If you're from Philly, you know them. Um, and they opened it up and they opened it up on March 13th of 2020, which is in legitimate conversation for the worst single day to open a business in the history of the United States. Okay. I don't know if you can pick a worse one. Uh, March 13th, 2020. They opened it three days later, had to close it. Kind of of a disaster. She's very nice, though. Uh, And Rita's custard is freaking awesome. Uh, That's a whole other story, though. Uh, The XFL, they have this huge two-year buildup to launch this new league, and they launch it in the middle of this. So it went bankrupt basically right away. Who knows if it would have worked? The Rock is going to take his shot at it. And as you know, The Rock always wins. So I'm sure it will actually overtake the NFL very soon. Back in a second. End of the show, like to read your iTunes reviews. Uh, like this one from Emmy says, uh, appropriate five-star rating. This is the amount of stars that it's appropriate for this review. 
Five out of five would recommend. Five freaking stars. How about this one? Facts, not feelings, says it must be a Texas thing. Debbie does Dallas, and that wasn't enough, so Glenn has forced poor Stu into doing all of America. The analogy is spot on when you consider the far left is trying to screw the entire country. Over 50% of people pay absolutely zero federal income tax. So half working Americans getting screwed every single day. The Blaze staff are one of the few voices of reason out there, and big tech is working with MSM propaganda machine to silence them. It's very true, but you know what else? Five freaking stars. And this one, Go Birds. Awesome show with just the correct amount of sarcasm and self-hate to prove he is an Eagles fan. It's true. You have to be that way to be a Birds fan. Go Birds. Five freaking stars. We'll see you tomorrow.